Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're glad you're with us today. As we actually embark on a brand new part of our um, Bible study, we're teaching through the New Testament. We spent the last 28 weeks working through the book of Matthew, which we did a chapter at a time. We're about to start on the book of Mark. And uh, the book of Mark will, will, shouldn't take nearly as long because there's only 16 chapters in the book of Mark. Um, you, you know how I remember that. I've told you this bad joke numerous times. But it's about people being honest and the pastor's doing a Bible study and he says to his folks, next week we're going to talk about Mark chapter 17. So I want you to go home and read it and be ready for next week. And next week when the people come back, he says, how many of you have read Mark chapter 17? And most of them raise their hands. And he goes, huh, there is no Mark chapter 17. Anyway, so it's better to tell the truth. That's the moral of that very bad story. All right, now, um, we're going to start in the book of Mark, however. And uh, just as a little backdrop, uh, I I wanted to give you a little bit of facts about the book of Mark, and then I'll read the first chapter to you, and um, we'll dig into it from there. Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four gospels, which are comprised of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of the gospels was written to a different target audience, and the book of Mark was written to Romans. And the Romans liked things in simple language, and they liked things that they liked power and powerful things. And so you hold that in context as you read the book, because you're going to see that Mark, uh, unlike Matthew, just explodes Jesus onto the scene, boom, and has him out doing stuff and demonstrating the power of God. And in the first chapter, ultimately, he's he's basically using a chapter to authentic, uh, authenticate Jesus' ministry and and who he is as the Son of God, as fully God and fully man. He's going to hop right into this whole process um, of Jesus inaugurating the kingdom, which we spent a lot of time talking about. Mark, um, we believe historically from from historical uh, references by the early church fathers that Mark is recording for us the eyewitness testimonies of Peter. So um, this is sort of Peter's account given to Mark. Um, at what was happening in the process because we have places where we can see them hanging out. And as early as 140 A.D., we have this written by Papias, one of the early church fathers. He wrote that Mark, being the interpreter of Peter, whatsoever he recorded, he wrote with great accuracy, but not, however, in the order in which it was spoken or done by our Lord. So we have a commentary on the book of Mark from 140 years A.D., which is pretty fascinating when you think about it. And in that, Papias is telling us that it was Mark was writing what Peter saw. Uh, and so we have a pretty clear testimony of what was happening. Now, um, the other interesting point is, um, when you read the Gospels, the events are not necessarily in chronological order. We tend to read things and we think that that's the chronology of the events. But the writers were writing for a specific purpose and they would put events in where they needed them to make their point. They're, they're writing a, an illustrative, uh, illustrative uh, account of what happened. And so it, it may not be that it, it happened in the exact sequence in which it's written in any of the books. Um, you're getting their overview and they're making their points as they need to make them. Um, we're pretty confident that Mark's gospel was written before A.D. 70. We say that because when you read Mark, and especially when you read in the 13th chapter in the second verse, um, uh, Jesus is still talking about all these great buildings. He's being quoted. And, and uh, not one stone will be left here on another. Everyone will be thrown down. 
and, and the way Mark records it, the buildings are still there. And we know that the temple gets turned down in AD 70. It gets torn down. So we think he wrote it just prior to that act. So put a date on it anywhere before AD 7. Now remember, gospel accounts, because this gets challenged all the time, were, were written in the end of the lifetimes of the disciples. Um, Jesus' ministry more or less was from zero, <laughs> his life, to AD 30, 33, some point in time like that, to his death, around there, give or take four, five, six years, something like that. And then uh, over the next 40 years, we have the, the beginning of the early church and the ministries of the disciples and the Apostle Paul uh, in, in full swing. Now, what we think happened is they, they're, they're working under the assumption that Jesus is coming back any day. Because when he left, he made it sound like he'd be right back. And, uh, and, and, and we're supposed to live in that tension still, right? Like he's coming back any moment, even though he's been... He's been away a couple thousand years, but that harvest trumpet could happen at any time. We need to live in that tension. So, so initially in their ministries, they weren't too much worried about writing down what was happening because they, they were there, they saw it, and they were telling what happened. They were giving oral accounts of everything that happened. But after it had been 20, 30 years and Jesus hadn't come back, they began to realize, we better write this stuff down <laughs> because we're not going to be around much longer. And if he's not back, everybody needs to know the story. And so we... We see the, the gospel accounts being written here in the 60s and the 70s uh, at the ends of the, these guys' lives. Some of Paul's letters precede it because he's not, he's not recording gospel event. He's uh, writing letters to the churches and to their things. So we, we go back into the 50s, uh, 50s for uh, some of Paul's writings. So the 50s, that sounds funny. <laughs> not the 1950s, the actual 50s. <laughs> I'm talking about the real 50s. Um, and so, so we have uh, Mark's dating somewhere between A.D. 70. I don't know how important it is, but I think it's important because one of the challenges we face are people try and say all the things like the Gospels weren't written until 200 uh, A.D. all the time. And they try and lump them with this other group of books that were written around then and say they have the same authority, and they don't. Um, uh, so there's a lot of books that they try. You remember they did Da Vinci Code and all this stuff. All these weird books came up that were written around 200 A.D. And they, well, these should have been in the Bible. And yet this group of guys decided not to put them in. It was way more complex than that. But, but historically, from the early church fathers, we have a pretty good working model of what accepted Scripture was um, way before it actually became canon in 325 A.D. So, so like um, Papias in 140, referencing the entire book of Mark, all right, which had been around for a while. So um, that's kind of the, 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 you know, the boring backdrop, if you would, of what's happening. So let's go ahead and read the first chapter of Mark. I'll read it to you. Uh, you can follow along in your notes if you can see them there, or there's Bibles in the, in the chairs. You can grab a Bible and read along. Or if you have your own Bibles, you can read along in that. Uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 of Mark, chapter 1. Here we go. A brand new... Bible study. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him 
in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Excuse me. Yuck. Okay. And this, I much prefer the domesticated uh, (laughs) locusts and honey. Never mind. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, do you see how quickly Mark has busted us into the story? Um, Matthew took chapters to get to that spot, the whole birth and everything like that. John's kind of like giving you simple statements because he's writing to Romans who would have liked it that way. Simple, plain, tell me the story. It's like this. Bottom line it for me. You ever wanted to say that to somebody? Just give me the bottom line, please. But we like preamble and the biography. Okay, but not not Mark. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and he left their father Zebedee in the boat. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Let me comment on that just for a second because I, I don't think I put it down in my other comment. Um, when, in, in that period of time, um, disciples and rabbis would have been a very close-knit group. And um, the, uh, the disciples of a rabbi would all sort of learn his teaching and his opinion of things, and they would know the other leading rabbis and teachers' uh, opinions on topics. And the way that they would teach, they would say, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says that this is what's happening, but Rabbi so-and-so's belief is that this is what's happening, and and Rabbi so-and-so does this. When Jesus came and taught, he just came and said, this is how it is. And and that's what they were like, wow. He teaches as one who has authority because everybody else was like, well, this rabbi and this rabbi and this rabbi. But Jesus just came in and said, this is the deal. And we know from our study in Matthew that he was telling them and undoing all that mess that had been done for years, right? So that's why that's happening. The other thing about Mark is, Mark really doesn't comment too much on Jesus' teaching. He spends way more time talking about Jesus' actions. So it, it'll say, the teaching amazed them, but you notice it didn't, Mark didn't tell us what in the world he taught about? But Matthew did. All right? So you, you get a little difference. Okay. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with this Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. 
The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. That's Peter. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter into town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So let's dig into this chapter uh, a little bit. There's some neat things that happen. Um, In the first 13 verses of Mark, Mark introduces what the gospel is all about. uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And and then he begins... um, mapping out evidence to support the claim. Remember, he's writing here to convince the Romans about what's happened and who Jesus is. And so this is his sort of, uh, uh, you know, his, his, his work to bring them to, to Christ. And so he has to, and what he starts to do is present his arguments for who Jesus is, his testimony. And, and so if you know that's what he's doing, a lot of the things that he writes sort of clear up. The first thing he does was, was he talks about uh, how John the Baptist came, which they, they would have heard of John the Baptist being there, and that John the Baptist witnesses that Jesus is indeed uh, uh, who he is because of the authentication of God. That's where it starts. The voice of heaven, the voice from, from, from heaven of God saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Um, God authenticates the ministry of Christ right there at the baptism, and John the Baptist is a testimony, is a witness to that action uh, and he heard it, and he told people about what he'd heard. And, he, and, you know, when he said, After me will come more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, I baptize with you water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so we, we Mark uh, launches into that, that uh, Jesus has come, that he is the Son of God, and, and that there's lots of testimony to the fact that he is who he claimed to be. And ultimately what Mark wants us to know as his readers is, Jesus is who he said he is. And uh, you'll see that throughout the book. And, you know, it's, what really half of the book of Mark is about the last eight days of Christ. So, so pretty fascinating. Half of the book is about that last week. But we're, we get this preamble because he's launched right into the story. It doesn't take as long. Um, in verses 14 through 20, Jesus' ministry then is authenticated by his acts of power. Um, he, he gathers his disciples. We find that out in those verses. And they will be there not only to, to uh, continue and serve in the ministry, 
but ultimately to act as witnesses. See, because it's their testimony as well. Because they witnessed the things that are being written about and, and they, were, they were around for a long period of time going on and continuing the process and, and talking about what was happening. And so you, you begin to see him lay this stuff out in those verses. In, in uh, verses 21 through 39, and I, I mentioned this, Mark doesn't really uh, write down what Jesus is teaching and comment on for us, but he, he makes sure that we know that he taught as one with authority. And I touched on that. He, he, he was just speaking to people. And we see this is one advantage we have now of having studied the book of Matthew. I told you that what Jesus did was he came in and, and what he said was, instead of rabbi so-and-so, he said what? You have heard it said, but I say to you, and he undoes all these years of uh, the, the religious mess that's come in and messed up the ability and the availability of having relationship with God because they've made it all about rules. And we've talked about that. Um, and that, that the Pharisees, with noble intention at the beginning of their order, had gotten way off track by trying to uh, hold on to the, 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 the culture, the Hebrew culture, by implementing... Law after law after law after law after law. Each law came when something new came up. And so you went from the Ten Commandments to 700 and some uh, of these other you know, laws that needed to be kept that nobody could keep. And the whole system had become corrupt and was all legalistic and was all about appearance, not about matters of the heart. And Jesus comes and he begins to undo all of that. And not only does he speak these words, we talked about this, he begins to demonstrate, not only does he say that the kingdom has come, by the acts of the things that he does. He demonstrates that indeed the kingdom of God has come upon us. And we've talked about it at length. He's inaugurated the kingdom. It's not fully here. That's why everything doesn't happen the way we'd like to see it happen. But we get a foretaste of what's coming in our time here. And so, so Jesus then is out into the scene and we see him begin his ministry of deliverance and he, he begins to set people free from um, the evil spirits that have... Um, consumed them and overtaken them. Do you know, up until the Gospels are written, there's not a whole lot of discussion about um, demonic activity in the Old Testament. And, and I believe that's because until he came as the light, the darkness wasn't exposed. But now that the light's here, there's this flurry of activity because suddenly the, the evil is, is aware of the fact that this new development isn't good. And they keep saying, we know who you are. And he keeps telling them, be quiet and go away. And, and out they go. And he's setting people free that have been in bondage and deliverance who had no, no real help before. And, and what happens is the word of this spreads and people are just coming to him. And, it, and he keeps telling people, don't tell anybody because once they know, he can't even go anywhere anymore. So he'll, he'll go outside the town and people come to him. And they come in these massive numbers because of who he is. But, but probably initially more because of what he was doing. Because they, they needed... See, they were desperate. They'd been in darkness for so long. There was no way to God. Uh, and they couldn't make it. And now here was one who comes who, who is able to say what, what needed to be said about who God is and about life and about sin and about hope and about faith. And then he's able to back it up by, by praying for them and setting them free to demonstrate that he is indeed who he claims to be as he comes. And so, and remember all along, because Mark is setting up the case, that the disciples were witnesses to all these things. They saw him driving out uh, and overcoming uh, evil and overpowering it. Um, they, they, they were there when he went to uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick. 
and he goes in and, and takes her by the hand and she stands up and she goes right from being sick to, to waiting on them. I think it's kind of a funny story. Um, but they see, see that he has authority over sickness. And, and from that action, uh, the, the, again, the word gets out and, and by that evening the whole town has come to the door. Did you read that in the book? That'd be a little mess, wouldn't it? Everybody's at the front door. Yeah, excuse me, is Jesus here? <laughs> Can Jesus come out now? And uh, he goes and, and he prays and, and it says that many are healed uh, in the process. And then in verses 35 through 39, see uh, what happens here, Jesus goes off to pray. And the disciples witness that, that Jesus has this intimate connection with his Father. And, and see, people didn't have that. That wasn't the norm. That wasn't what they were used to. That wasn't their concept. Remember, it's Jesus that introduces the idea of God as Daddy. And he teaches his disciples, this is how you pray. He's your daddy. Go. You need to pray. And he demonstrates it throughout his life. He can't do it without this, this time of connection. And, and he's often by himself praying uh, when the disciples are looking for him. And, and see, they're all distracted because, uh, you know, they go, like, everybody's looking for you. You're like the, the number one guy here. Come on, you need to be. And he's like, you know, this is what has to happen first. This is what matters most. And he, 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 he shows them by example the importance of connection and, and they witness this relationship that he has with god and and they begin to see it as a possibility in their own lives now the story of the leper and and i want to take a moment to to think about this um because and we'll, we'll end with this one today in verses 40 through 45 uh, if you don't know the backstory it may not be as impactful or as impacting as it is when you get what happens in this concept so let me try and, and uh, explain it the best that I can. Leprosy in, in the Bible was not only what we consider leprosy today, leprosy today, but they call it Hansen's disease, I think. It basically, uh, the word was used for any sort of skin disease or infection that you might have had. You were, you were considered to have leprosy. And the problem is that for the Jew to have leprosy was a terrible thing because you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and because of that you were cut off. You were, you were denied access to worship and community. You basically became isolated. I mean, not only do you have the physical distress of the condition, it's, it's much worse to be cut off and isolated, guys. There's, there's, it's a miserable existence and this was the condition of this man now see see when he approaches jesus this is what you have to take from the story uh here is this person who had been isolated most likely for a long time probably hadn't been touched by another living soul for years and years and here's jesus doing these miracles, and he's the son of God. Now, now get that what this man has ta- been taught his whole life is that you can't be around God because you're ceremonially unclean. And because of your uh, condition, it means that somehow God doesn't want you around and you can't be around him. And so when he approaches Jesus, what you need to hear is, is when he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's never that he had a moment's doubt that Jesus had the power to do it. It's, I'm not ceremonial clean. Will you still minister to me? 
And the fact that Jesus... See, it doesn't say that Jesus just heals him. This is the big part. What does Jesus do? He touches him. I, I don't know if you can let that sink into the place that it needs to, but it is one of the most powerful testimonies of the love that Jesus has for all of us because he's not worried about the outside stuff. See, see he breaks down all those barriers. He, he just comes to an outcast, one who's been isolated, who tentatively approaches and says, you know, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Uh, you can not only heal me, but you can, you can make it possible to restore me in every way, socially, spiritually. And see, the overall concept is this, that all of us, because of sin, are ceremonially unclean. Our sin, in and of itself, would keep us isolated from God. And yet Jesus came. And in His ministry and then willingness to go and pay that price for us, we have access again to a holy God. He cleanses us. But not only does he heal us in that process and cleanse us and make us ceremonial clean before God again because of his blood, he restores us in every area. He offers it to us emotionally, spiritually, relationally. See, because when he tells the guy, listen, you, you need to go back now and offer the sacrifice and stuff. You need to go with the, to the priest because you can get back in now. You can get back into what's important, back into community, back into life. You can get back into all those things. And yet the guy is, I think, because he, he didn't do it, to have been touched by the Son of God. It was just more than he could keep to himself. And, and I, I just need to make sure that, that when you see that, you, you get, because it said that Jesus was moved with compassion. See, it's a, it's a picture of why he came. The ministry, the people couldn't get to God. They had this wrong picture of who God was. And yet he comes and says, that's not the right picture. He touches him and he heals him. And, and so, you know, make sure you see that as we kick off because a lot of what Jesus does is based on his compassion. But it helps us to know about who he is for us and that he steps into our isolation and our separation. He touches us, heals us, and he makes us new and makes us whole. So I, I think it's just a great way to end that chapter. And, uh, and, and to see the compassion and the movement of Jesus in people's lives and to know that he's moving in our lives that way as well. Amen? Amen. Okay. If somebody's up there to turn the video off, please do. Uh, and uh, guys up in Williston, Scott and Pam pray for you up there. If you're on the Internet, send me uh, an email or call me or something. I'd be happy to pray for you. But we're going to go ahead and pray for the group here tonight. If you have prayer requests, please pass them up to me and I will pray for you.